if you check into a hotel, one of the things that you are supposed to do is to look at that little chart on the back of the door. I think it's on door most of the doors. I haven't really seen it anywhere else, but on the back of the hotel room door where it shows you that in case of a fire or an emergency, that this is the path that you're supposed to take. It has warnings on there that says, don't take an elevator, follow this pattern. This is where you're supposed to go. If you go out on the East Coast, and I assume it's on the West Coast, but I've never been there, so I'm assuming that it's there. But I do know that on the East Coast, if you go on some of those coastal roads, you'll see signs that says that it's a hurricane evacuation route. And we've seen pictures when a hurricane was coming into a city, or they expected it, that they were prepared for it, and so that they would take that, that route. And on many occasions, when you see a divided highway, you know, one usually goes one way and the other side goes the other way. But in that emergency situation, both lanes or both sides are an exit to the city or away from the coast. All of those things are there to protect us. And God has given us a way of escape when we are tempted. And that's what we need to understand. We see people sometimes that they don't follow the directions of what we're supposed to do in case of a hotel fire, and sometimes they get trapped inside. Sometimes they may die. We see people that refuse to listen to the orders about evacuation. They want to go their own place, do their own thing, and sometimes they die. And God has given us a way of escape when we are tempted, and we need to understand that it will lead us to safety in that temptation. But sometimes we're on guard for the big things. The big things, and when I talk about big things, I mean some of the bigger sins, if you want to call them that. And we would never fall victim to those kind of things. But sometimes it's the smaller things that get us. On July the 25th, 1911, a circus stuntman by the name of Bobby Leach went over Niagara Falls in a specially designed steel drum and lived to tell about it. Now, I don't know how many of you have been close to Niagara Falls, but it's pretty thunderous listening to that water and seeing the flow of water go over the edge. And I would never put myself in a barrel and go over the edge of, a, of Niagara Falls or any other falls for that matter because it just does not seem safe. And he did suffer some minor injuries, but he survived because he recognized the tremendous dangers involved in that feat and he had done everything that he could possibly do to protect himself when he went over that falls in that barrel. But several years later, he was in New Zealand. And he slipped on an orange peel, which badly fractured his leg, and gangrene set in. And when he was taken to the hospital, he died from complications from that fall. I think that that kind of describes us sometimes. We make all the preparation so that we don't go after the big sins, if you want to call them that. And sometimes it's the little things that trip us up. It's the little things that cause us to stumble. 
If you have your Bible, turn with me over to James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And there we see the progression of sin and how it takes place. Temptation comes into our heart. Why? Because it's something that we may desire, something that is appealing to us. It may be appealing to our eyes, our flesh, or even our pride. And so we need to understand that we need to be on guard for those things. But the temptation isn't the sin. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. That being tempted is not necessarily the sin. The sin becomes when we give in to that temptation. Because if temptation was a sin, then Jesus sinned in the wilderness when He was tempted by the, by the devil in Matthew the fourth chapter. And so we know that temptation isn't the sin. It's when we give in to the sin that we or give into that temptation that we sin. But notice it's something that we want. It's something that we lust for. And so James is telling me in that passage of scripture that I need to be on guard. Not only for the big things, but also for the little things. And then Paul tells us over here in 1 Corinthians that when we are tempted, God provides a way of escape. But I want you to notice what it says over there in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and in verse 12. It says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There are times in our lives where we may get to the point where we think that we're above sin, that it's not going to happen to us. What happened to brother so-and-so would never happen to me. And Paul is warning us here of those things. And so we need to understand that it's not always the big things. It's sometimes the little things that get us. And sometimes those little things can get us to a serious point where we turn away from God totally. And those little things also can be sinful. And so we need to take care of that with God when we do sin. But I want us to understand or talk tonight about the way of escape. Because God has given us a way of escape. And sometimes when we're tempted and we're, we're being tried or tested, sometimes we, we're not looking for that way of escape or we don't see it at the time. Now, is it there? Well, God says that it is. And Paul says it's a promise. And so we need to understand that there is a way of escape. And we also need to understand that, guess what? What I'm being tempted with isn't any different than what someone else may be tempted with. Now, certainly we understand that what I may be tempted with and what you may be tempted with are two different things. And I think that sometimes when we look at 
well, I'm tempted with this, and if I give into it, then it's a sin, so I've got to bind that on someone else. And so I think that we need to be careful with that. But here's what we need to understand. That with a temptation, God provides a way of escape. And when we think about temptation, there's no temptation that's uncommon. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 15 beginning, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We see there that no one's tempted in a different way. That's uncommon. We can't say, well, what I'm going through, you don't understand. No one could understand because it's just me. No, we, it, it's common. And that's what we need to, to see. And as James points out, God doesn't tempt us. You know, we've been studying on Wednesday night, Job, and I think that it kind of is a, a, a window being opened up to how things work sometimes in our spiritual lives. Because Job, did Job know what was going on with uh, Satan and God? I don't believe that he did. And we may even wonder, did Job know that he was going to be part of the Bible? Probably not. But who's bragging on Job? God is. Have you considered my servant Job? And then what happens? Well, Satan says, you've got a hedge built around him. And guess what? If you take that hedge away... He'll be like everybody else. In other words, he's been blessed. He's received some good things, and because he's received those good things, that's why he is the way that he is. And God told him that he could take, do whatever he wanted to with him, except he could not take his life. He could not touch him. And that's in that first chapter. And we see all the tragedy that came to his life but in all of that, he didn't sin. God limited Satan on that occasion. And God limits Satan today because he provides a way of escape. Look at Jesus in the wilderness. Was he tempted any different than any of the rest of us? In Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, it says, And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Well, what's he appealing, appealing to? He's appealing to the lust of the flesh. You're, you've, you've gone all this period of time without food. You must be hungry. So here's some stones. If, you're the, if, you, who you are, if you are who you claim to be, then turn those stones to bread. So again, that's the lust of the flesh. But Jesus' answer was, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then in Matthew chapter five or 4, verse 5, it says, Then the devil taketh him up to a holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. That would fall into the category of the pride of life. 
You know, you're the Son of God, and if you fall, then guess what? His angels should, should stop you from getting hurt. He's appealing to his pride. And again, how many times does our temptation dealing with the pride of life or the lust of the flesh? But then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And did Satan stop? No, Satan went on. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, it says again, The devil taketh him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So he took him up there to see all those kingdoms. Well, what was that? Look at the, look at the, 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 the things with your eyes. Again, the lust of the flesh. Now that's the temptations of Jesus. And what was His response to that one? Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. And so when we look at the temptations of Jesus, it falls into one of those categories that we see there in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It's either the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. Now was it any different back in the beginning? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3 and look at what happened with Adam and Eve. In Adam and Eve, we see that they were tempted just like others were because they were in the wilderness, or they were in the garden. And so they are being tempted. I guess I should just flip over those verses so we can read them. Chapter 3 is where we're going to. Now listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said unto God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband which with her, and he did eat. Again, what did it appeal to? The lust of the flesh. It's good to eat. It looks good. It appealed to the eye. And it will make you wise like God. Appealed to the pride of life. And so we see here with Adam and Eve in the garden that they were tempted just like Jesus was tempted. And guess what? Tempted just like you and I are uh, tempted. And what we need to understand is that when we are tempted, it's not beyond our ability to overcome that temptation. We are responsible for our actions. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, when they gave in to that temptation, there was consequences for what they did. If Jesus had given in to the temptations of Satan, then there would have been consequences. And thankfully, He did not give in to that temptation. He overcame the temptation. 
And so I think that we can see in those two cases how it progresses. The temptation may be there, but when you give in to that temptation is when you sin. And when you sin, it brings forth death. A separation from God. And so the Bible teaches us that every one of us is responsible for our own actions. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquities of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquities of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And so when I give in to that temptation, that's, that's me. That's on me. I can't blame it on anyone else. I can't be like you know old Flip Wilson when he used to say the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make me do it. The devil doesn't have control over us. His demons do not have control over us. What we need to understand is that we need to be strong enough that we can overcome it and withstand the temptation. And I think Jesus gives us the perfect example of how to overcome temptation. He used the Word of God. And that's what we need. We need to have God's Word in our heart. As we mentioned this morning, when we have God's Word in our heart, we're going to have fire in our bones. We're going to have fire in our spirit. We're going to have a zeal. We're going to want to take that message to the world, but sometimes we allow that fire to go out. And as it tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, do not quench the fire. Don't let that fire go out. Keep that fire burning. But that fire needs to be burning. That zeal needs to be there based upon our knowledge of God. Don't be like those that Paul mentioned who had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. There's a lot of people in the religious world today, some in the church of our Lord, that has a zeal, but not according to knowledge. We need to be doing what God wants us to do. And so no temptation that we face is beyond our ability is what's implied in those Scriptures that we've been looking at. We should be able to withstand it. God sets boundaries in the spiritual world as He has in the physical world. And we see that with Job. Listen to what it says in Job beginning in chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? That's God speaking about Job. And so he looks at Job and he sees all of these great things that can be said. And if God's saying them, it must be true about Job. There's no doubt that this was the kind of individual that Job is. Verse 9, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hand, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he shall curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon him, Put not forth thy hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And as we read the rest of that chapter, we can see all the devastation that took place in Job's life. And as I said, Job still had the power 
to overcome it. He had the, the, the power to get through it. Why? Because God had provided a way escape. And guess what the truth of the matter is? Job realized that all of those things that he had were blessings from God, and God had given them, and God can take them away. You know, sometimes when we lose things, possessions, people, we get upset. Why did God take this away from me? Why did this have to happen to me? We need to understand that all of this stuff's not ours. Never has been. How much of it do you take with you when you die? All those possessions stay here. And even our children are a blessing from God. And how many of us look at it that way? That God's given them to us. And I think that when we realize that, it will help us in our responsibility as parents to train and to teach our children as we should when they are growing up. But be thankful that God has set boundaries. Because as I said, Satan can't make you do anything. He doesn't have that much power. And neither does his demons in Job chapter 1 and verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Sometimes we look at these individuals that are found in the Bible. And I think sometimes we think that they're some kind of superhuman being. I don't think Job's any different than you and me. The things that make you tick made him tick. God had blessed him. God blesses us. And when we serve him, he'll continue to bless us. As he told the children of Israel, when you do what you're supposed to do, I'll bless you. When you fail to do what you're supposed to do, I'll curse you. But just because bad things happen doesn't necessarily mean that you have done something wrong. Things happen sometimes because maybe we're not as strong as we think we are. Maybe we need a challenge. Sometimes we need to hear something that challenges us instead of something that just makes us feel good. And sometimes as Christians, we fall into that, 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 I don't know what you want to call it, but we fall into that category where I want you to tell me something that makes me feel good. When in fact we need something that stirs us up. And Peter tells us that there's a time that we need to be stirred. And Paul, or the Hebrew writer, warns us that there are times that, guess what? You should be a teacher. Isn't that amazing? We need teachers for vacation Bible school. It's not why I'm saying that, but we do. And there's a time that we need to be teachers, but yet we still have to be taught. No temptation that we will face without a way of escape. Look at some of the examples in the Bible. And I want to point out 
David and Bathsheba. Because David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible tells us. But he sinned in a very awful way. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the times when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass at an evening tide that David rose from off of his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I ask you there, when you read that and you hear that message from Second uh, Samuel concerning David, do you see the way of escape there? Do you see the way of escape? Where should David had been? Where should he have been? He should have been out in the battle, should he not? Should he have not been out leading his people in that battle? But then you read in those verses, he still was in Jerusalem. Did God provide a way of escape? You know, sometimes we look at that and we look at the, what Bathsheba was doing and we want to put all the blame on her. But Ezekiel tells me I'm responsible for my own actions and so was David. Was there other ways of escape? He could have looked the other way. He could have went back in the house. He could have got that out of his head. And then when he inquired of who she was, was there not another way of escape when he was told that she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Wasn't that another indicator that, hey, guess what? Leave this alone. Don't go there. Was God providing a way of escape? It wasn't like he was innocent. He went in and he knew what he was doing. How many of us give in to temptation without looking for the way of escape? And sometimes the way of escape is before we get to that situation that we're in. It's like going to that hotel and you look at that escape route that they put on the back of the door. You assume that there's not going to be a problem, but if there is a problem, what are you going to do? You need to look. You've got to have a plan. And sometimes we need to plan. How are we going to react? if we're tempted that way. But I also want us to realize we don't always know how we're going to react. You know, have you ever heard someone say, well, you know, if that happened to me, I know exactly what I would do. And then that very same thing happened to them and they didn't do exactly what they thought they would do. I think Peter is an example of that. I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll die for you. But he denied Christ, didn't he? It's like slipping on that banana peel. And sometimes we're looking for the big things. And those little things trip us up. Because we're not on guard. But the Bible says that God is faithful in that promise that He will provide a way of escape. 
David had his way of escape. But he chose to sin. Look at what James says. Do you see that here in David's life? The temptation? The lust? The giving in to the temptation? Which was the sin? And then that sin separated him from God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, we find another example. And in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not in thy own uh, not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Again, what happened? There was something that took place where they were tempted to lie. They were tempted to say, we gave it all, when in fact they did not give it all. What was the temptation? Well, we assume that part of it is that we wanted to be like, they wanted to be like everyone else. Others that were giving all that they had, selling possessions and giving it, and bringing the, the money and, and laying it at the apostles' feet. And so they wanted to be in that group. I don't know if that's the entire motive that they had. I don't even know if that is the motive they had. But they had a motive. They were tempted and they gave in to that temptation. And when they came, they lied and said, we've given it all. And notice what Peter says. When it was in your power, or when it was yours, you had the power over it. You had control over it. Why have you conceived this lie? Why have you decided to lie? Did they have a way of escape? Did God provide a way of escape for Ananias and Sapphira when they come and they lied here with the Holy Spirit? Because you can read further down and you find where the wife came in and she lied also. Was there a way of escape provided? You see, that way of escape for them was the fact that it was in their power. They didn't have to give it. They didn't have to give all of it. They didn't have to give part of it. It was in their power to do what they wanted to with it. They did not have to lie. And sometimes when we look at our lives and we've given into the temptation, we look back and there we see the way of escape. Because we're not looking for it while we're being tempted. Because sometimes we want to give in to the temptation. We want to do what we know that we shouldn't do. Or we want to fail to do what we know we should do. You see, the way of escape may come through endurance. It may come through suffering. And it may come through even come through death. And God provides a way out. In Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27, it says, And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. When Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. 
Now let me ask you, what was the temptation there? The temptation would have been to just give in and say, oh, okay, we're not going to do that. But they did what God wanted them to do as opposed to what the devil would have wanted them to do. And the devil would have wanted them to stop preaching God's Word. As a result of that, look what happens down in verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they... That was Gamal who had been talking, and they had agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name in the name of Jesus and let them go. So what happened as a result of doing what was right? Not giving into that temptation to stop talking about Jesus. They were beaten. So sometimes when you overcome, there's 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 going to be consequences from the world. The fact is, you've done what God wanted you to do, and that's where we rejoice. And that's exactly what they did. In verse 41, it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Don't preach the Word of God. You know, we talked about this morning when we're, God has given us a responsibility to take the Gospel into the world. I'm convinced that there are many people out there in the world that do not want that to happen. And we need to understand we still need to take that Gospel out in the world. We have that responsibility and we need to let people see it in our lives and they need to hear about it from our voices. But I'm sure that there are people out there that would not want to hear that and may persecute us and tell us to shut up and stop talking about Jesus. You can see it in the news ever ever so often. You, you kind of get that idea that they want Christians to be quiet about the Gospel. And so the temptation is, I want to fit in with people. I want people to like me. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be injured. And so we give in to the temptation and we don't say anything or we don't live the example that we should and we act the way they act out in the world. But Peter tells us that we ought to obey God rather than man. And sometimes that's going to get us hurt. But it would be better to be hurt by the world than to be hurt by God. You see, that way of escape doesn't mean escaping the effects of persecution, but escaping the offense to God. When we do what's right, that's where we get the peace that passeth all understanding because we know that we're serving God and He gives us peace because we realize it's not who can destroy the body that matters, but it's who can destroy the body and soul. And the world can only take our lives. That's all they can do. That's the most that they can do. Well, yeah, yeah, they can hurt you a lot in, in the process. They can cause a great deal of pain, but there's still only so much that they can do. And Peter tells us in First Peter verse four or chapter four and verse fourteen. If ye be reproached for the saint or for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. 
On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified. Stop right there. When you think about the world, and you're talking about Christ and what the Gospel can do, and you're telling people that what they need to do in order to have peace and what we need to do in order to, to be what God wants us to be, guess what? Some people look at that and they say, that's evil. I've heard recently in the news people saying, we need to get rid of that Bible. We need, and I've even heard them say that we need to get rid of Christians. That's evil being spoken of about God. But when we're doing what we're supposed to do, they can say what they want. But our goal is to glorify God. It goes on in verse 15, "...but let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian..." Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. That's kind of tough, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if as a Christian, when you're doing what's right, and someone comes to get you and they, they want to punish you or they want to hurt you, maybe even take your life, wouldn't it be wonderful to know that God would just strike them dead right there? But that's not the way it works. God provides a way of escape. And all of our temptations are common to man. And so we need to look for that way of escape. And sometimes when we find it, we may be persecuted. But what we receive in the end will be worth whatever may happen to us here on this earth. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, it says, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I'd like to concentrate on the last part of that verse, because that's a promise that God's made us. And in that first part of that verse, tribulations and persecution, that doesn't sound like things that we would want to experience. But God is saying again, there's only so much they can do. Don't give in to the temptation. Sometimes we're already in the grasp of sin. <clears throat> Sometimes there may be some here that have gotten into something and realized that they need to get out of it and we need to let go of that sin. And sometimes that's not easy, but God provides a way to help us. Now when we're tempted to do wrong... We have to be determined that we're not going to give in to that temptation. Then that same temptation may pop up again and again and again and again. We have to resist that temptation every time. We're all different levels in our spiritual maturity, and we need to understand that sometimes the young need help. Sometimes the old need help. Sometimes we may think that we're strong. But remember what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. We can never get so strong in overcoming temptation that we don't have to be on guard. We always have to be on guard. You know, the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
Well, I've never been in a place where lions are roaming free. But I have been in a place where poisonous snakes are out in the wild. And when I go hiking, guess what? I'm, I, I spend a lot of time just looking in front of me because I don't want to step on a rattlesnake or a copperhead because I know that that could be dangerous. And so you're always on guard. You're always watching. Even when you look out into the distance or look at some, some, uh, something that God has blessed us with to be able to see, to see His glory and power. But even looking out there, you're still, or I'm still, on guard for those kind of things. You can't let down your guard. And then there's many other things sometimes that may get you in some of those places. There's bears and, and other uh, wild creatures that are out there that can cause harm. So you're watching for all of those things. And as a Christian, we realize that the devil is out to get us. And we have to be on guard. And we're never so strong to think that we don't have to be careful because we all can fall. And so God provides that way, and we need to be thankful for that. But if you're caught up in sin, I would encourage you to repent, as it tells us in Acts chapter 8 and verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps a thought of thy heart may be forgiven. And then as a Christian, we realize what John tells us in 1 John chapter 1. Verses 7 through 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you walking in the light? Are you being on guard so that when you are tempted, you can overcome that temptation? Are you looking for the way of escape that God provides? Or are you giving in to the temptation very easily? Brethren, we can overcome it. And we need to be thankful that God has provided us a way of escape whenever we are tempted. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.